Hello, everyone. I'm Anthony Roberts. I'm Director of Leadership and Innovation at the RCVS. I'd like to welcome you today to this first in a series of uh, online discussions, uh, podcasts, webinars around innovation and the important aspects of that that uh, we want to provide veterinary surgeons and nurses and others associated with the profession uh, support around. Um, so we'd started this year with a plan to, to hold a series of masterclasses, networking events uh, up and down the country to help accelerate innovation. But in the, uh, in the midst of a uh, context we're currently in, of a rapidly spreading pandemic, that seemed ill-advised at best. So my colleague Sophie has been gradually turning these into a, a series of, of online uh, initiatives and building up the suite of resources on the, on the website. And today is the first of those. Uh, and I'm really pleased today to be uh, welcoming Daniel Johnson, who is a growth and marketing consultant. Uh, and he recently delivered a, a masterclass uh, for us and for, for vets and nurses around the importance of marketing in uh, successful innovations uh, and startup companies. So welcome, Daniel. I'll hand over to you to do a short introduction, uh, and then we'll have a, a question and answer session about the importance of marketing uh, in the innovation journey. Awesome. Thanks for the very generous introduction. I never know what to say at them. Well, I, I mean, it'd be wonderful if you could just give us a little bit about your, your background uh, and involvement in, I suppose, projects that are, are similar to what, what we're doing here. And I, I know when, when Sophie found you to, to deliver our masterclass, we thought there really could be no one better suited to, to doing that. So, uh, you know, please, please don't be hmm. shy and, and take it away and telling us what you've been up to and how that applies to, to what we're doing. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so originally I started my career out in uh, marketing roles for various companies. Um, I actually ran a, a business where when I, I founded it and as we were growing, I sort of naturally took the marketing role. Um, and after I sold that, I wasn't really sure what to do with myself. And I, I realized that I'm fairly good at it. So let's continue the process, which I did at a bunch of tech startups uh, around London uh, eventually going freelance a few years ago to now be a agency marketing, uh, growth marketing agency owner and um, mentor for Google Launchpad. Um, so that's kind of where it's got me to this point. And uh, the more and more I sort of investigate and, and continue my learnings on marketing, the more I realize how intertwined product development innovation uh, is with marketing and how it's not just creating ads, but this whole process uh, and systems of understanding your customers and trying to provide value at the right time with the right message or right approach. I think that's, that's a really critical point. I think it's one that I, I, I'm really keen to emphasize, that marketing is so much more than just uh, promotion. I mean, it, it is the very means to which you uh, identify uh, products that add value, how you uh, you know, find the groups of people who they can uh, provide value for, communicate with them, uh, and really turn an idea into an innovation. And it's something that's uh, out there adding value uh, and bringing in revenue. So uh, I, I wonder on that if you could talk a little bit more about what growth marketing is in particular and what your view is on that sort of more holistic interpretation of marketing. Sure. So um, my agency specializes in growth marketing and can be kind of daunting to understand the difference between what people's you know, usual conventions of marketing and, and the difference between that and growth marketing. Um, so a few years ago, during the rise of uh, 
the first you know tech startup unicorns um the way customers were acquired was very different from previous businesses it was a lot more scrappy and a lot more influenced by um development teams and technical teams and it resulted in this experimentation based method where you apply um, a very data-driven very research-driven approach to understanding who your customer is coming up with essentially a bunch of guesses educated guesses based on data um, and then performing small tests uh, and then based on the results of those tests you decide to either scale them stop them um, and and learn from it and it's a much heavier sort of thoughtful um, number-led process than previous and I think the the best people in the field are those that um, really pay attention to the data and don't let sort of ego get in the way. I think that's that's a, a fantastic point. Uh, although one of the I suppose contentions that, that we would we would hear is well what do you do when you don't have that data or, or how do you do you go about collecting it when you have an entirely new product or service that you're you're developing? Yeah it's a really um, that's a very good question and I think it can be it can be difficult and daunting if you're starting off to be able to understand where where to go and and you should always always use data even at the beginning and whilst the data quality might not be very good it's it's a good place to start and for that um i would recommend looking at sources such as facebook audience insights um, when trying to develop customer personas or product development um, look at research organizations um, like i know the uk gov does a, a lot of really great stuff to understand demographics and user behavior um, now, the problem is it won't be completely customized to your audience, but it will provide a good basis for people to start. Yes. So I think I mean, that, that, that leads on to a, a really important point, which is you know, a lot of innovation now is, is based on the sort of design thinking methodology where you really try and put yourself into the, the shoes of your customers, understand uh, problems from their, their perspective. So, how does that link with, uh, with with the sort of marketing approach you you talk of, and, and what should you do when you're trying to to better visualise the issues your your potential customers are facing, and, and how your product uh, meets those? I love this question because I've been talking to everyone about it, been annoying my my flatmates about it whilst I've been stuck home. Um, your your customer is the central send is the primary person that every person in a startup should be thinking about. It's all about serving them, solving problems for them, identifying problems, helping to um, articulate their your messaging in a way that makes sense to them. They, they are everything. And I think um, in the way that like human-centered design um, and a lot of that sort of methodology is is being used is should should be highly integrated into um, into a good uh, marketer's role or even founder or, or you know mo most people in an early stage startup unfortunately there is some awesome um, frameworks that we can use one of the most commonly used ones is the the customer persona which I'm a huge fan of because it allows me to uh, when I'm doing research on a company I have tons and tons of different notes and it can be really difficult to sort of uh, assemble those notes into a linear format that makes sense to me um, because there's just so much and they're kind of sprawling and a customer persona allows you to look at individual characteristics of a person and 
um, assemble those nodes in a way that makes sense and is actionable and you can actually do something with, um, which is uh, something I'm a big fan of. So I think that, that, that's really interesting. I mean, I've got lots of questions to, to follow up on, on that with. Um, I mean, one immediate one that comes to mind is uh, I recall listening to a, a fantastic lecture by the, the late Clayton Christensen around the concept of jobs to be done. Yeah. Uh, and his, his contention was that you should focus on the job rather than the, the person. And he, he gave a rather fantastic example of uh, a piece of work he'd been asked to do for McDonald's in the, in the U.S. around trying mm. to sell more, more milkshakes. And uh, they, they'd always sort of targeted those at, at children, and they thought that the, you know, that, that was the, the customer and the persona. But what they discovered was that more milkshakes were being sold um, before, I think it was 10.30 in the morning than any other time. And then when they started to dive into that, they found that they were being sold mostly to, to middle-aged men with, with long journeys. And, and, and the job to be done was that they wanted a, something to keep them entertained as they, they went on these long journeys in their, their cars. Um, of course, then there was another peak later in the day with children being taken by, by their parents after school as a, as a treat and things like that. But what was interesting about this is each of those groups had very different needs. So uh, to sell more milk tricks to that group of middle-aged men in the morning, you wanted to make them thicker, you wanted them to last longer. Uh, they, they weren't attributes that would be uh, good for people wanting to sort of briefly nip in with their children for a treat and want to be sitting there for hours on end while they slurped the thickest milkshake that had ever been <laughs> created. So um, I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how you you sort of manage that, uh, you know, that understanding that the jobs to be done may be quite different and the groups might be quite different to those you expect to be, to be sort of uh, gaining value from the product. Yeah, so I, I absolutely love that um, case study and it's one that I use on a near daily basis um, in, in like every presentation that I ever do. Um, I think there's a, there's a careful balance between the two. I think yep. it's having a customer persona and also um, figuring out what their individual jobs to be done are. Um, one of the similar analogies that I use is um, I used to run a mental health company and we had an app, a, a mobile game. And what I found really interesting about it was that we had multiple customer groups. So initially in our research, we assumed that the app was designed for a particular demographic, um, you know, young, uh, young men and women who uh, want to explore their, their emotional understanding and, and things like that. But we found this other demographic, this middle-aged demographic in the States, primarily men. And after doing research, we found that actually they were giving feedback on things like, this app helps me communicate more effectively with my wife. Um, so I think... The problem that your product solves can the 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 solution that your product is can solve multiple problems, yeah. and um, that's why I'm always an advocate of creating multiple customer personas because although you might have one primary demographic, there are often multiple others that will also use your product and shouldn't be excluded. I think that, that that's an amazing example, incredible parallels to the the, the, the Christensen case study there. And so when you when you found that out, just sort of delving into that a little bit more, did you did you then find there were ways you, you adapted the product to better meet that new group of people who you hadn't thought would find it uh, useful? Or was it just changing the messaging around what it could deliver for them and the value it provided? 
So at the time we uh, we didn't really focus on that area because the app was was clinical and we were doing research studies aimed at specific demographics. But it was definitely something that we would have investigated further on um, had that had I had the time and resource because you know we could help more people and get more customers. Um, I think for what a lot of businesses should do is figure out their positioning per customer. So the way that you want to communicate your brand to a particular demographic or, or type of, of people who um, should be personalized and unique based on not only what problem you're solving for them, but also the way that they listen. Because if you're selling financial technology to Bloomberg, you're going to want to be quite formal. Um, but if you're selling uh, cat toys to young people, you're probably going to want to be quite casual. Um, but the words they use are really important. An example of this is that I used to be head of marketing for a e-commerce platform, and I was a big advocate of um, trying to get first-hand research on customers. And to do, to do this, I took a lot of my customers out for lunch and dinner and, and occasional beer um, to hear them talk and hear them understand how they referred to our product. And after a casual coffee with, with one customer, um, I can't remember exactly, but he said, um, oh, yeah, you're, I asked him, how would you refer to how would you refer to Shop Rocket at, to a friend? And they said. Um, it's one line e-commerce and uh, I updated one of our Google ads that we were running at the time just to see what kind of traction that we got. And it, it performed four times better than our best ad campaign. Oh, wow. Which, um, and I think that shows the importance of actually, you know, I I sometimes do this where I'll create a campaign and I'll say this is perfect, and then it won't have the right effect. And the reason is that I'm not always the target customer, and I let my own sort of personal decisions come in that process. Um, but by listening to the customer, I was able to to really improve our numbers. And I think that, that, that creates some really interesting questions for those who are looking to, to innovate in the, the veterinary space, and particularly those looking to uh, create products and services around the delivery of, of healthcare. So I think on the one hand, you need to have a voice that is, uh, you know, trusted and uh, sensible. And, you know, obviously there is there's a, you know, a lot at stake when, when you're, uh, you know, your animal is going to see a vet for, for its health needs. But at the same time, mm. there's also a, you know, a, and, and a very strong emotional bond there, and um, you know you want to also, as well as the, the sort of the hard science, you want the the care, the empathy, the the, the compassion in that that messaging. So, what do you have any advice around that? And I suppose to to add to that point, I think uh, one area I found fascinating recently is is around sort of fintech, and you've seen, you know, for many years the the way banks have communicated has been around. Uh, you know, trust and sensible communications, and then we see this emergence of, uh, you know, new new startups like uh, Revolut or Monzo and so on, which have absolutely not gone for that approach in their, their their communication. They've been very customer focused, but they've gone for a much more informal uh, approach. And it's been surprising <coughs> just how effective that's been. Yeah, yeah. I, every brand marketing is all about the relationship with uh, the brand and the customers. And I think it's really interesting to see how um, challenger brands such as like Monzo um, in terms of fintech um, have changed the way that 
the relationship has traditionally been. And I think that's great because that allows for innovation, that allows for improved uh, industry NPS scores, all sorts of things. Um, I think particularly when you're a vet and if you're doing anything, if you're selling anything related to someone's pet, there's a lot of um, initial risk um, in terms of like people feel anxious because they, they care about their pet and it's important that the, the person who helps treat, care, whatever it might be, um, is good, is trustworthy. And what's important for vets in that situation is to um, develop the relationship between them and their customer as early on as possible. So building credibility, whether that be through the use of testimonials or uh, referrals, um, particularly video testimonials, I'm seeing effective in, in this kind of space. Um, mm -hmm. And also trust. So, you know, putting qualifications front and center on public profiles, having regular communication. So embracing the use of social media to understand, like to build that relationship with their local vet um, is super, super important, more so than a lot of industries, because you need you need to make people feel comfortable and um, with arguably the most prized possession. <laughs> so yeah. that, that's a difficult process. So I suppose um, moving on for, from that and trying to start thinking of some practical tips for those who are, are going through the, the sort of the innovation process or, or, or they're early on in the startup. I think there are, uh, where, you know, success is going to look very different at very different stages uh, and, and getting to that sort of uh, clear brand identity or, or, or the, the revenue generation stage um, isn't the sort of the first thing you can do. So I wonder if you might talk me through the, the various stages uh, that a, a startup or, or someone with an innovation might want to, to go through and what the, the sort of the things they should be focusing on are and the, the metrics they could use to, to measure success as they're, they're on that journey towards having that, that clear identity and that revenue generating product. Sure. So that's actually a question that I get asked a lot, um, particularly after, particularly in the in the past few days. I think people are at home coming up with business ideas, validation of startup ideas, um, turning an idea into something that actually generates money or <clears throat> achieves a goal, is is very difficult. And I think a lot of people underestimate that the vast majority of startups fail. And I don't say that to uh, to scare anyone, I say that because it is a challenge and people have to be prepared for that. Um, to that extent, what most people do and what I initially did when I was first starting businesses was create the business and then you, you well, basically what happened was that I would spend six months creating whatever it was and I would work on it, work on it, work on it and I'd be super excited and I'd go out and I'd show all my friends and I'd say, hey, what do you think of this idea? Um, what do you think of my awesome new startup? And they would say, yeah, it's great. You know, I go to my parents and say, check out this, this new company. And they'd be like, it's great. And then when I started marketing it, I had no customers. And I was like, what's going on? You know, everyone, everyone that I care about loved it. And I realized that it, my own sort of ego had gone in the way. People had given me good feedback during the journey of like, you know, does this solve a real problem? Um, and if it does, will people actually pay for this product? Um, and I think answering those two questions are incredibly important. Um, as part of my role as a mentor on Google for Startups Accelerator program, um, I work with a lot of very early stage startups. And one of the biggest issues I see is that people are solving 
awesome problems with great business models that are, are really cool. But actually, if you ask them, how does your business make money? Um, they're either economics are really uh, like inefficient or they don't have like a sustainable method of, of making money. And I think understanding that and being really honest with yourself is the first step. Um, and then once you've identified that, rather than doing what I did, I would highly recommend that people take a much more iterative approach by first understanding what is your problem solution, um, who is your customer, and then having lots of interviews to understand how people approach these problems, how people think about them, the words they use, the types of people, how much they, they spend on this kind of market um, before developing something. Because the worst thing is when you spend ages developing something and it's the wrong thing. So it's better to get this research at the beginning. And uh, there's a great book called The Lean Startup, which um, is, is like the Bible of, of sort of modern day startup marketing uh, or development, really. Um, goes through this process a lot better than I ever could. And I would also re recommend Peter Thiel's Zero to One. Um, it's an iterative process based on understanding your users. And it's really easy to get defensive because you don't want people to tell you <clears throat> your 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 precious startup baby is wrong. Um, and it's just something that I highly recommend people be aware of. Sorry, a bit of a rant there. Just no, that was, that was absolutely about. fantastic. I mean, two immediate questions come to mind. I mean, one is we, we often, uh, through the Vivet program, speak to people who have ideas, but they're very reluctant to, to share them or, or discuss them for, for fear that you know, someone else will, will, will potentially take those away. So uh, what, what would you say to those people would be my, my first question. <clears throat> um, do not worry about that. There is so many other things to worry about when starting a business. Starting a business is not easy. Um, the chance that someone's going to take your idea, develop it better than you, is, is incredibly low. Um, you don't need to share it with the world, initially at least, but realistically, it's it's hugely unlikely that someone else is, is going to just take it and, and run. I, I've I've heard of like a couple of occasions of it happening, but even then it was it was a bit weird. Like the most important factor is execution, like just moving fast um, towards your, your goal. And and people don't do that as much as they think they do. And I think if people realized how difficult it was to create a company, they wouldn't really mind sharing it as much because they realize few people have the motivation and passion to do it. I think that, that's always been the advice that, that we've given people is that uh, having the idea is the, the easy part. It's the creating the, the business around that and the, the executing that that's, that's difficult. And actually, if you have an idea, you should you should be open. You should discuss it with people because it's that mm. way you can very quickly iterate it. You can identify the problems uh, and you can start to de develop something that's really, really valuable. And you know, very few people would... Uh, <laughs> Firstly, would would steal it because of the you know the moral implications, but secondly, mm. if they wanted to, it, it's a very difficult process. And uh, the more you share, the more you discuss, the the better. Uh, but my other question actually is around the trying to understand what people will pay for, and I think this is a really difficult one. And uh, people will often say they'll pay for something or they ascribe value to something which, in the real world, they 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 wouldn't. And, the example I've heard used before uh, is, is around the Airbus A380. And if you ask people their customer experience of that, everyone thinks it's one of the best planes I've been in. It was comfortable. It was spacious. Uh, and then you ask them, would you pay more for it? And they say, well, of course I would. That, you know, that meets all those, those criteria. 
yet uh, you know, unquestionably price is the the key determinant of um, you know what uh, airline ticket people will will buy. I mean, as mm-hmm. evidenced by by the emergence of Ryanair and other no frills suppliers, uh, and of course now we're seeing the Airbus A380 coming out of out of service yep. having been a financial disaster for for Airbus. So, how do you get over that problem that people might you know really feel they value something, or it might be a better experience for them, but when push comes to shove, they won't actually pay for it, even though they might think they would. Super, super good question, and also one of the most difficult questions to answer. Um, people pay based on not just value of, of the service or product, but perceived value and service of the product. And I think a lot of marketing comes into play there, um, because even if you've got a really awesome product, you need to ensure that people think it is and that it's communicated effectively that way. Um, to that extent, um, understanding what people will pay um, is not fully my forte, to be honest. And that's because I'm, I'm still trying to figure out a process that works for me. Um, what I would recommend to people is that they read the mum test. It's called the mum test, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. And it, it talks... It helps you understand how to ask the right questions in order to not bias people, but also gain vital information uh, in terms of like product development and and market research. Um, Understand what people pay for similar solutions. So if your product is a solution to a problem that your customer has, identify what are the other solutions and how much are uh, they currently paying for them, whether that's time or money. and try to understand where you want to position your product. How valuable do people see it? How much do people pay for for similar services? These kind of things all, all take um, are important to take into account. Yes. So just 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 for listeners, the the, the mum test, as I understand it, is a book. Uh, the premise of which is you should you should ask your mum for feedback on things effectively mm-hmm. because she loves you and won't lie to you. And the, and the the book sort of outlines how you can start to get that sort of uh, honest feedback and, and, and elicit that from people. I, I must confess, I haven't read it, but I have heard it well recommended. Mm, good book. Big fan. So, I mean, you, you delivered a fantastic uh, marketing masterclass to uh, to a group of vets who, who had ideas and products and services they were seeking to, to develop. I suppose just to just to, to close, uh, really, um, in five minutes or so, I wonder if you might be able to sort of highlight some of the, the key resources, frameworks, uh, and so on that you, you used in that, which we might be able to point people towards now if they're, they're starting to approach the, the marketing of their, their innovations. Sure. So um, I think one of the, the most useful things for me is a lean startup canvas. Um, and essentially, that is a extremely simplified business plan. It looks at the main areas of your business model, and it helps you think Think about what your costs are, how you're going to make money, what service you actually solve, what is the solution to the problem. And, and it's a good way of like, in the same way a customer persona is really useful, helps you initially set up the idea. I think business plans definitely do have a place, um, but initially a lot of that is going to be wrong or, or, or not used. So just take that with a pinch of salt. Um, obviously, as we've discussed, so before you go on that, I'd just like to, to refer listeners to, um, we, we did a 
two-day workshop last year based around the, the business model canvas, and you can find all the resources on the website there, which leads you through the process of developing that, that, that canvas for your, your startup. And we, we took a very dissimilar view to, to business plans and you know, used the Mike Tyson quote that, you know, plan is what you have until, <laughs> until you get punched in the face. And, and yeah. you know, things are so dynamic as a startup that the plan is very much a static document. But having that real understanding of all the connections across your, your business model between the, you know, the product you're, you're creating, how it reaches a customer, how it's priced, what your revenue is, and so on, is, is, is such a, a key uh, tool to understand how the business can operate and evolve. Absolutely, everything. Sorry, I interrupted your flow there. No, 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 that was, that was super accurate. I think we share very similar values in, in how we approach innovation in startups. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to think of like what, what are the most useful frameworks, uh, particularly at the beginning. So there's the Lean Startup Canvas. Um, you can access a lot of these tools super easily online just by Googling Lean Startup Canvas. Um, there is some websites that provide an online generator. I'm a big fan of printing it out onto a A5 um, and working with your teammates with sticky notes. I find that the interaction comes up with more ideas more holistically. Um, additionally, same with customer personas. They, they can be a bit daunting to start, um, but there is so much information that is available, really high quality stuff online. And also I'm writing a blog post about it. Um, so there'll be some resources in there. Um, and also actually one of the, the most difficult things that I am including in the, in the blog post, I haven't written, uh, it's a resource that I found a while ago, but uh, messaging. I think one of the things people struggle with the most, most is actually understanding, they know what they, they want their business to, to sound like and to, to feel like in their head, but actually getting that down on paper or communicating that to other people can be difficult. So um, there is messaging framework for startups which I'm a huge fan of because I think that simplifies the process and solves a big challenge that I, I regularly see. And, and you refer to those in your, your blog, you say, or, or is there somewhere else that we should be pointing people for, for that resource? Well, there's links to further reading uh, for everything I've discussed in the blog article. Um, yeah, because there's, there's so many resources out there. Sometimes it can be difficult to figure out what's good and what's not. Brilliant. So I think that, uh, that, that draws the conversation to a, to a conclusion. Really, we want to keep these, these short and snappy so that people can, mm. can fit them in amongst their, their busy lives, especially in the moment when there are so many, many things that people are, are, are juggling. Uh, I, I could have talked to you for, for hours on this. It's absolutely fascinating. Mm. We're, we're so pleased to have had your, your expert uh, input. Uh, as Daniel said, there'll be a blog up on the website shortly, and there's a whole suite of resources around the, uh, the masterclass that, uh, that Daniel delivered. So. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, and uh, I, I commend to everyone the, the materials that Daniel's provided and, and available on the, on the Vivet website. Cool. Thank you very much.